The chef is one of the best teachers in the kitchen, Food Network's Amberell. The dish is Pulpatini, you know, little meatballs. And this is Cook Tracks. Everybody, I'm Rach, Rachel Ray, and you're listening to Cook Tracks. It's a brand new, super cool way to cook. Each episode will be right alongside you. Well, kinda, we'll be in your ear, taking you step by step through a dish or a meal in real time. We'll be adding a little pinch of tips, tricks, and fun stories to keep you guys entertained and up your cooking game. Needless to say, we've got your back in the kitchen. I mean it, guys. You literally don't have to worry about a thing. I'm going to keep you on track with my buddy, Cappy. Think of him as our kind of play-by-play announcer for the cook-along. And since not all stoves are created equal, boy, do I know that. If you guys get a little caught up, just hit pause. You don't have to read a recipe, and it isn't rocket science. This is not something you're supposed to take seriously. We want you guys to have fun. Follow along, and at the end of each episode, we'll have made a dish or a meal from start to finish together. Gather up your ingredients, pour yourself a drink or a cup of tea, and turn your volume up to 11. This is Cook Tracks. Take it away, Cap. Hey everyone, it's Cappy. The episode you're about to hear was recorded as part of a virtual live at-home series produced by the Food Network and Cooking Channel New York City Wine and Food Festival. I was honored to moderate over 30 of these classes with some of the world's greatest chefs and culinary personalities. And now they're available to you right here on Cook Tracks. You can find all the ingredients and equipment you need to cook along right here in your podcast player or on our website, cooktracks.com. We hope you're ready to have some fun. And remember, some of these chefs follow these recipes to a T, while others cook from the heart and use the recipe as a guide. I want to mention that all proceeds raised from the series benefited a restaurant employee relief fund, No Kid Hungry, and Food Bank for New York City. To learn more about the At Home series, go to nycwff.org backslash at home. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Today's special chef, chef, guest, guest chef, does not really need an introduction because you all know why you're here. She's an incredible chef. She's a great TV personality. She's an incredible teacher. I've seen firsthand as you will all will soon uh, come to see. Well, you've probably seen it because there's like hundreds of you in the chat thread, you know, praising your favorite show of, of Anne. So you know why you're here, but most importantly, she's been cooking up a storm during quarantine and is recently engaged, everybody. Congratulations to uh, Chef Anne, welcome. Well, hi, and uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Um, how exciting, I've never cooked with a kernel before. So what we are making, what I'm making today, are pulpitini, which are little tiny Tuscan meatballs um, in, in Italy. They don't have like spaghetti and meatballs the way we think of spaghetti and meatballs. That's like an, uh, an American Italian kind of dish. And that is not a slam at all to that. It just is, you know, this is uh, a Tuscan kind of thing. So like with lots of soap, well, let's hang on back up one second. So pulpitini, when you do them in little tiny meatballs, eeny in Italian, anything that's eeny means small. But you could take this same meatball mix and kind of make it into a loaf. And then you have 
called petone, which is like the big form. So just consider this. Are you an eni or are you an one? <laughs> um, and then we can take the, the same mix, which I'm planning on doing, and you can just form it into a burger. You know, us Americans love a burger, so that works well as well. So it's kind of like whichever shape, are you little, are you big, or are you in the middle with a burger? But regardless of whatever shape you are, um, the, the mix is all the same. So we start off with an onion. Um, we're gonna dice three onions. I have two that are already diced. But um, so when we look at an onion, like most things, an onion has two ends, the stem end that grows up towards the sky, and we have the root end that we call the hairy end. So when we cut an onion, we think always leave, oh, power back on, hooray! So we think always leave the hairy end on. So I've cut the stem end off, and look at now I have no more rolling. I'm going to cut this guy right in half through the middle. All right. And then um, I'm going to peel my onion. And I have my thank you for coming bowl all set up. I have a corner in which to peel my onion like a super speed demon. Okay. Then we take the tip of our knife and we're going to slice this onion. We slice all the way to the back, but not through the back. And all the slices are the same size. Okay, then we one time through the middle like that, and then we just go downtown. There we go. And then when you get to here and it's tall and tippy, you can just tip it forward and then tip it back. And then you just like this, and then you say, thank you for coming, Harry End, and write my thank you for coming ball. So we'll do the other half. So we slice it, all the slices the same size, right to the back, but not through the back. So look, this is what the hairy end does. It holds it all together while it's cut. That's why we leave the hairy end on. If you cut the hairy end off and leave the stem end on, your onion will not behave this way and it will fall apart. That's no bueno. And do you have a, pref do you have a preference of um, white versus yellow onion, someone's asking? Um, I am a yellow or Spanish onion kind of girl. Actually, when I was living and cooking in Italy, we only used red onions. Um, so, but I like an onion that usually, I mean, like if I'm going to do something with a raw onion preparation, like a pico de gallo or something like that, um, I'll use a white onion because they're not quite as sharp. Mm. So that's the way I kind of go with that. All right, so I have three onions that are diced and I'm gonna start to sweat these. So I'm gonna get them in a pan. I'm going to coat them with olive oil. I coat the pan with olive oil and I'm gonna put those onions in there and sweat them. So you think about what do you do when you sweat? You get hot, you let off water and you start to smell. That's a good thing. That's what we want to do. We want those onions to really give off their onion deliciousness. So um, how we help that also is we give it a sprinky dink of salt. Salt helps pull the water out and that's all the flavor. So we're cooking the water out and concentrating the flavor of those onions. So here we go. Um, and this, like, don't rush this. Like, take your time with this. This is where we develop 
big soulful flavors. So, um, all right, there we go. So I'll bounce back to those in a minute. But in the meantime, um, hang on. Do you want to see if you can get this fired up again so I can see anyone who's talking to me? Where, what? Where's your heat? What? What level is the stove at? What? What? Sorry. What? what, what? The my stove, my uh, my burner is on, on about a medium high. Okay. So, like, we want to get this going. I mean, you know, like, I don't want to like like crazy cook my onions too fast but when we sweat the onions it's also about getting the rawness off of them but not adding any color so it's sauteing them but with no color so i have three cloves of garlic hang on we're just trying to get all of our technique ah here we go yay i'm back up so i can see people who are talking to me hooray 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 <laughs> okay yes yes Yes. Okay. All right. So I have three cloves of garlic. I'm just going to give them a little tap to get the, the paper to on the out or the skin on the outside to break. You give them a little tap and then the skin flies right off of them. Look how convenient my thank you for coming bowl is. It's right here. So I don't have to be moving around. I can start to hear my onions sizzling in the background. That's a very good thing. All right, mm, garlic, like nice upstate garlic. It smells so good. All right, now I'm gonna smash and chop these guys very finely. So I'm gonna take the little um, hairy end off these guys. All right, thank you for coming. And here we go, ready? Put your knife right on there, all right? Make sure that the handle of your knife is off the edge of your board. If you wanna cut it in half the long way, this might help. But this is fun. This is empowering. Like, ah, get right in there. <laughs> Smash it. And you really, like, break all the cells of those garlics. And I'm like, mmm, already it smells delightfully garlicky in here. And then once it hits that hot oil, it will really go bananas, um, giving off its garlic goodness. I mean, can garlic go bananas? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there we go. And then we just give them a little chop. All right. We're just gonna hang on an, a sec before we um, add this to our onions. I want my onions to be almost done before I add the garlic. So if you are ever reading a recipe and it says, saute the garlic and then add the onions on top of it, your crap detector should be going crazy. <laughs> think about, think about garlic. Look at how tiny my garlic is. Look how big my onions are. I mean, they're all uniform, but they're much bigger than my garlic. So we want to get the onions almost cooked first and then add the garlic. So in the meantime, I have um, some rosemary um, that I've chopped, but I need a little bit more. So I have, I'm going to take, um, so just like the Colonel was talking about in, um, with the cocktail, rosemary is pretty woody. The stems are pretty woody and they kind of look like pine needles. And they are actually, if you would just bite a rosemary piece, it's not, it's too strong. It's too strong. It's too much. I mean, it's too much of a good thing. So we want to hold it by the top and just pull the needles off backwards. Look at it. It's all sorts of naked now, but then this little, this little top guy, we're going to save those. Look at that. And this is going to be like a little toothpick to eat our meatballs with later on. Oh, how cutie is that? Um, so, and if you're thinking like, 
all right, well, you know, a little cocktail situation right now. Who's having cocktail parties? I mean, right now, I think everyone is <laughs> or should be. <laughs> so, um, you know, make a little cocktail party even for yourself. And uh, a couple of little nibbles at a cocktail party, always a good thing. <laughs> All right. So we're just going to get these guys chopped really finely. Take off that little woody stem. Hey, hey Anne, if someone is, um, happens to be using dry rosemary, um, how would you say to convert it? All right, so I'm gonna say this. I'm I'm just hang on. I'm just giving my my onions a little love over here. So look at this is like a chef facial right there. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so look at I, my onions are starting to get really nice and aromatic. You can see that they're starting to cook down a little bit. They're starting to go from like uh, white to like almost a little bit yellow or what we call translucent. I'm actually just gonna drop another little tiny bit of oil in there. And I'm going to turn my burner down to about medium, all right? I want to cook these onions so they just are nice and relaxed and not, like, too stressed out. That's never a good thing. Um, all right, so back to the dried herbs thing. Um, I will say I'm not usually a user of dried herbs. Um, they, they have a kind of a different flavor than their fresh counterparts. Um, but if all that you can get is dried herbs then I would back down the amount of um, the dried herbs by maybe about half. If you're not feeling enough um, of your dried herbiness, then add it in incremental stages. But dried herbs have a tendency to have a different flavor and a very strong flavor compared to their fresh counterparts. All right, so I'm just chopping away here. Feeny, 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 feeny. And what kind of what kind of oil did you use for the onions? Do you have a preference there? I am an olive oil girl. I mean, like the holy trinity in my kitchen is um, olive oil, salt, and bacon. So anytime that I could uh, get those ingredients in my dishes, I do. I mean, olive oil and salt are are usually in my dishes. Bacon, I try to sneak it in whenever I can. But I'm an olive oil girl, and. Um, in terms of olive oil, always extra virgin. I'm not, you know, there's no degrees of virginity. You are or you're not. Um, but what extra virgin olive oil is, is the first cold pressing. It's the highest quality that you can get from your olive oil. So I have my um, couple of tablespoons of rosemary. I'm just going to add it right in with my onions right now. So, um, you know, the idea is also when you're cooking with olive oil, don't cook with your the oil that's like, you know, oh, I was on vacation in Italy last year and I brought home this beautiful olive oil. No, that's the olive oil that you use to dip your bread in or to dress your salads or um, to finish pastas. Cooking olive oil is um, something like, you know, the big jugs that you can buy at like Costco or BJ's or something that is like Colavita or Filippo Barrio. It's not that it's lesser quality of oil, but when you have a super high quality oil, you want to taste that lovely greenness of that oil and heating your heating an olive oil changes the flavor. So, um, you know, think for cooking big batch olive oil for finishing small batch olive oil. All right. So my onions are coming down the home stretch here. I'm going to let them go for another minute. And I think this is about the time I'm going to add my garlic. Mm, garlic. Yes. 
here we go. And because it's smashed and finely chopped, all of those cells have come out. I mean, all of the cells of the garlic have been broken. They immediately, when they hit that hot oil, it smells so good in here. I bet you guys are all um, having good smells happening in your kitchen right now, I'm gonna, too. I'm going to check out this gallery. How's everyone's kitchen looking in there? Good, good. A lot of people cooking along. I love it. I love that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give my, my onions just like one more second. And then I'm going to turn the burner off and let these guys like uh, cool down for just a little bit. So burner off for a sec. Um, I have this cool little indoor grill right here that um, I'm going to use to cook the burger on. It's like this cool thing that my mom has. I'm like, I have like when I saw it, I was like, what the heck is that? But it's actually quite useful for indoors. All right. So uh, let's talk big meat. So I have three different types of meat here, veal, pork, and beef. Um, you can actually buy this, um, you know, I think in most grocery stores, it might be called like your meatloaf mix or something like that. If you have an issue with any one of those, or if you want, you know, to substitute, I don't know, ground chicken or turkey or whatever, knock yourself out, but it's equal parts of these kinds of meats. And I have about a half a pound of each one of these. So now this is when we start to do the fun stuff. Um, okay, I have three quarters of a cup of grated Parmesan cheese right in there. I have a half a cup of breadcrumbs. Those go right in there as well. I have three eggs. So look at my beautiful, my beautiful eggs. I'm like in my little town in upstate New York, I can buy farm fresh eggs at the hardware store. <laughs> I love that. I was like in the hardware store buying something the other day and I was like, what? Do you sell eggs here? And they're like, we sure do. So um, I like, I went today and returned um, the empty carton and got a new carton full of eggs. And I'm like, I love this little small town living. I love it. What, what kind of bread, what kind of breadcrumbs are you going with there, Anne? So these breadcrumbs happen to be gluten-free breadcrumbs because since I've been sheltering uh, with my family, um, we have, I were nine of us all together and we have a couple of different diets going on here. We have um, two vegans, one gluten-free and uh, what I call six regulars. So these are just plain old white breadcrumbs, but they're, they're gluten-free. So my mom can get in on the meatball fun too. Nice. Um, okay. A nice big fat sprinkle of salt. Isn't this the cutest? My mom put the little seashell in her salt cellar. <laughs> like, yay, cute, adorable. <laughs> um, okay, now here is a super secret um, tip or trick. I was going to say flavor weapon, but it's actually got no flavor. The secret to moist meatballs, whether they're these little cutie little Tuscan guys, or if you're making like, you know, the, the big boys with for your spaghetti in meatballs is water. What? Water. So you think about it, we're going to cook these out and all the moisture is going to cook out. So if we kind of do a little over meat, uh, moisture overload to start, we wind up with moist meatballs at the end. Ooh, look at me. I was thinking. All right. So that's about a quarter of a cup of water. Now, um, I am 
going to start to mix this together. I'm going to let my onions and garlic cool down for just another little second, but this is where it starts to get fun. So rings off and all that kind of stuff. And uh, let's get to squishing. Look at it. This is like cooking under extreme circumstances here. <laughs> all right. So we just want to mix everybody around till they really, till it's mixed up. You don't need to like, you know, like really massage your meat. Just get in there and, and mix it up. All right, I'm gonna do a quick little hand wash. Hold, please. While you're washing your hands, thoughts on milk in place of water? So milk is fine, um, sure. But if I don't have milk, I mean, and like I'm not a, a huge milk drinker in my apartment um, or I don't use a ton of milk. So for a quarter of a cup, uh, I'm like, I can just use water. But if you have milk in your house regularly, I mean, like, I'm not, you don't have to go out and buy milk specifically for this recipe. If you have it, great. It's, it adds the moisture. Um, it adds some nice milk solids and milk fat. I mean, that's always good. Um, but you don't need to go out and buy a bunch of milk just for a quarter of a cup to make this recipe. Good point. Good okay. point. Okay. So... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. Onions and garlic we're adding right in there now. Can you just take us through what um, is all in the bowl? A couple people just yeah. asking. So what we have in here is we have the meat mix, which is half a pound each of veal, pork, and beef. Um, I have three quarters of a cup of Parmesan cheese. I have about three tablespoons, two to three tablespoons of finely chopped rosemary um, I have half a cup of breadcrumbs. I have three eggs, one quarter cup of water. And then I just added three sauteed onions with three cloves of garlic. And I've seasoned up this whole situation. So you see, like this mixture is a little bit loosey-goosey. And that's what we're looking for. This is what we want. All right. So... Now, when we get to this point, see what we got going on here? Yes. All right. Mm -hmm. We make sure it's nicely well mixed. All of the onions and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, or it's like a homogeneous meat mixture going on here. Now, what we want to do at this point, and I urge people, do not skip this step. Because, um, you know, as much as I think this is seasoned properly, it might not be. So take a little bit of your meat, okay? And here, let me just put a little olive oil on my griddle situation. Make a tester patty and eat it. So cook it through. It doesn't need to be pretty or anything. What it is, what we're doing is what I like to call QC, quality control. So this is how I know that my entire meatball, my polpatini or polpitone or polpetti burger will be uh, seasoned perfectly. All right, does that make sense? I mean, it's like a low tech solution, but man, would it, it's much better than getting through this whole situation and then your, your little meatballs are not seasoned well. That's sad. <coughs> All right, what do we got? Question? Yeah, uh, Mary Jo just chimed in. She's asking if you would recommend these as an hors d'oeuvre, and if so, any type of dipping sauce you would recommend. 
Well, um, these are great for an hors d'oeuvre. These are what I call, um, I, I came up with a little name for them called piccolini, which I mean, just in Italian just means little teeny tiny. They also have words called like cicchetti or something like that. And it's kind of just like a little nibble while you're having an aperitivo or a little cocktail. Um, so when we go into our little meatball factory, we're going to brown them in the saute pan. And I have some uh, chicken stock that we're going to um, just saute around those as well. That will help um, that will help the meatballs cook through and stay moist, but that it also makes them sort of saucy. Awesome. So if you would like to add another sort of dipping sauce, knock yourself out, but you know, traditionally Italians on this kind of preparation, not very saucy. Hmm. Uh, Regina is asking about something and um, she said, is there no black pepper? All right. So should we talk? <laughs> Kathy's like, how many times have I heard this? All right. So let's talk pepper. Um, so salt and pepper do not have the same function. Um, salt, what I like to call salad, um, is a very, it's, it's just turns the volume up on the flavors that we already have going on in here. It makes things taste more. Pepper on the other side is a spice and it's a very strong spice and it brings another flavor to the party. So I, as a chef, um, am not a gratuitous pepper person. I am usually always a salt person, but pepper, unless I want to feel pepper as an ingredient, I usually leave Pepe home. So I'm like, Sally and Pepe are not married. They're only dating. Sally always goes to the party. We usually leave Pepe home. But I will say this, if, you're, if you are a pepper fan, if you love Pepe, bring him to the party whenever you want. I just, I use pepper as an ingredient when I want to feel the black pepper. It's like, I just don't salt and horseradish everything. So that's the way I feel about pepper. All right. So hey, Regina. My, how do you feel about that, Regina? I mean, if, if Regina, if you're a pepper person, fantastic. Um, okay. So I'm just going to try my little, oh, that's hot. Oh, yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm a rock star. All right. <laughs> Yum. Okay. So now what we can do. All right. I'm going to start first. I'm just going to go ahead and make my burger because, um, you know, it's right here and I'll start cooking it. So I'm not a huge burger fan. I like sort of a, a medium sized patty. And actually, sometimes I even really like a double patty burger with two thin patties. But for today, I would say this is probably like a five ounce patty. So we're going to go on there. Now, the thing about this, if you're going to make pull patty burgers, you need to make sure that they're cooked through till about to about 155 to 160 degrees. Because remember, there is uh, pork in there. So you really need to make sure that you, you cook them all through. All right. So... Now I'm going to start um, doing my little meatballs. So like about like this, like one inch size balls. All right. Yes. So there we go. And we just go into our little meatball factory. So you know what I like to say when I'm doing this? 
Meatballing. Right. I'm a meatballer. I'm a baller. I'm a meatballer. Yeah. So there we go. All right. And so we're just going to go ahead and make a whole lot of those guys. All right. My burger is cooking on the other side here. Right. So, uh-huh. How about uh, in terms of... Uh, so people, a lot of people are asking about sides or what to serve it, but why don't you share with us how, like what you, what you do with them? So if I was not going to serve this as a little hors d'oeuvre and I wanted to, um, and I didn't want to make like a whole meatloaf kind of situation, um, I could make these guys and I could serve them over soft polenta. That would be really nice. Or over like some sauteed greens, you know, like some broccoli rob would be really nice. Like that nice bitter green going on there. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, ooh, good God, that one just jumped right out of my hands. Um, I don't think I would really do them something with like mashed potatoes, but if you are, if you want to do a mashed potato, that's fine. I just would be looking for something that has a little bit more texture than that. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to serve these like um, over a bed of arugula, that works well as well. You know, like however you want to do it. I mean, the, the superstar here is the little the little meatballs. So that's what we've got going on. So and, and that pan's not greased or anything. You're just using it to hold them. Is that right? This is yes. This is my holding pattern here. If someone right, wanted so, to freeze, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll get you in a minute. So I've got about 15 of these ready or so. Um, I'm just going to do one more quick little hand wash and I'm going to start cooking this batch of them. But go ahead and ask me what you got. So people asking if they want to freeze these, is there a, is there a certain point that you'd recommend they do that? All right, so what I would do if you wanted to freeze them, and this is, by the way, what I do with my like regular meatballs that I do for um, spaghetti and meatballs. Here, come on, hop around this way. Um, so what I would do is I would um, make all my little meatballs. I would, wait, hang on one second, let's just speak. There we go, I'm heating up my pan. I would make all my little meatballs. I would toss them in the oven for like, on like 375 degrees, just to get that protein to firm up. Mm. And then uh, what I would do is, then you could pull them out, you know, like if you want to make a whole batch of them, bake them so the protein is firmed up and cooked through then pull them out and, you know, say like someone's just coming over for a couple of cocktails, not an all nighter. And you could pull them out, let them defrost, brown them and carry on. Nice. All right, there we go. So I'm just gonna like, let my pan heat up here a little bit. My burger is doing nice things. Is that pan at like medium, medium high? So I have it on about medium high, yes. And I'm asking because a lot of people ask, but at the same time, as you know, everyone's like stoves are different, everybody. Right. So the idea is here, we want to cook them until they brown. We don't need to fill up our entire house with smoke. Um, and, uh, you know, really, like you don't need to be going like balls all out. Like let's be balling here and not here so we don't burn them. Cool. Okay, so there are a few little onion stragglers still in my pan. I'm going to take those out. And that, that, that so I'm just going to do it. That's oil in there. Yep, a little olive oil. We add a little bit more olive oil to my pan. And we're just going to kind of brown these on all sides. 
We don't want to crowd the pan. Everyone needs their own space, like meatballs or pulpitini, social distancing, if you will. Um, because if you crowd your pan, what will happen is instead of them getting nice and brown everywhere, they'll steam. And that's not what we want. Okay. So there, there we go. All right. So we're just going to uh, let those guys be browning. In the meantime, I can go back to my meatball factory. I'm going to just take a little look-see at my burger here. <laughs> someone said, someone said, brown food tastes good. <laughs> brown food tastes good. <laughs> so there we go. That looks good right there, I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So actually, just before I go back to my meatball factory, um, I'm going to just make a few more of my natural little toothpicks. So look at, you have these like little sprigs like that. I mean, this is like, if you're like really extra, if you don't want to do this part, I so get it. <laughs> you can use regular, you can use regular toothpicks. But I mean, I just think it's cute and it's like natural little stuff that you can do. I love seeing all these families rolling meatballs together. It's so fun. I know. See, don't you like everybody, anybody who says, honestly, anybody who says they don't like a meatball, I think they're a liar or I don't trust them. <laughs> you know, like everybody loves a meatball. You think about it in almost in every culture that there is, um, there are meatballs in some form or another with all kinds of different names, just like there are things that are wrapped in dough, you know, like in the Italian kitchen, we have ravioli. In you know the the Hispanic kitchen, there's empanadas. We have pierogies. I mean, there are a, a million different types of things wrapped in dough. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a look. Oh no, my fire alarm's going on now. Oh god, I love the technical difficulties. That happens now. to you too. <laughs> right, it happens to us all. Right there, we go. Will you just open the window? Okay, we're turning on the fan. Um, sorry, <laughs> this happened um, when I was doing a live segment with Ginger Z on Good Morning America too. I'm like, all right, settle down, sensitive fire alarm. <laughs> all right. I think we need you for a little uh, debate here between Denise and her husband. Uh, Denise says, she says, my husband says it's better to use a skillet or frying pan instead of a saute pan for making meatballs. Is there a difference? No, there's no difference, Denise or Denise's <laughs> husband. A skillet and a saute pan. I mean, a saute pan, there are two different shapes. One has the curved side that we know as like a regular saute pan. The, um, and that the technical name for that one is called a sauteuse. This pan that I am actually using has the square side and it's called a sautoir. And I always can remember the difference because sautuse with the curvy sounds, curvy sides sounds curvy, doesn't it? And a sautoir with square sides sounds square. All right. <laughs> there you go, Denise. So, I hope that helped. And look at me, I'm all sorts of United Nations keeping marital, you know, uh, squabbles in check. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're just browning these guys. Now, after I get done with this, uh, when everybody is browned and cooked through, see, like, so you're like, wow, there's a lot of grease and stuff in there. Really what this is, is a lot of the, the moisture coming out of the meatballs that, um, 
uh, so it's a lot of moisture that, you know, remember we put in all that extra water. So that's what's cooking out. But the meatballs will still be really moist um, in the meantime. All right. So I'm just going to let these keep on going. What other questions do we have? I'm loving them. Yeah. Celia, um, I think Celia, yeah, wants to know, should you wait until the, the meatball moves easily before you flip it? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the thing that us cooks like to do is the second we put something in the pan, we like to cook it and poke it and move it and stir it and all that kind of stuff. Resist the urge. <laughs> it will win every time. Like, so when you can shake the pan and things start rolling around by themselves, that's a good time to know that they're moved. But like, I mean, when you're cooking things like, you know, trying to sear a piece of fish with the skin on it, or if you're trying to, um, you know, like chicken skin, the first thing that skin wants to do is stick there. And the first thing us cooks want to do is move it and it will win every time. So be patient, resist the urge, like walk away from a second, have a sip of the Colonel's drink if you need to, um, that kind of stuff, like, there you go. So look at meatballs all rolling around. We're looking really nicely browned, kind of all over the place. So now this is, see, it's also, I'm working in batches. So I get really nicely browned uh, meatballs all over the place. So what I'm gonna do at this point, and this is gonna seem a little weird, but just stick with me here. And I would recommend like everyone get one of these things. It's one of my favorite pieces of kitchen cooking equipment ever. It's called a fish spatula and it's flexible. It's got sort of almost a little sharp edge and you can pick stuff like this up and the grease or the fat or the liquid or whatever falls back through. So I love this thing so, so much. So here we go. Taking my little meatballs out. Shout out to Carol for the tip of uh, putting a shower crap over her fire extinguisher while cooking. Just make sure you remove it before you go to bed, Carol. Right. Yes, Carol, please. I mean, you know, there we go. So now look at, I've got this big fat pan full of fat. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ditch it. All right. This is, goes right in my thank you for coming. Okay. Now, there we go. I'm going to throw my meatballs right back in my pan. And this is where we start to get a little saucy. Um, so we add a little bit of chicken stock in there. Ooh, baby. All right. Honestly, they make this so, tonight, man. Right? Aren't they delicious? All right. So now what I'm going to do, I'm just going to taste that chicken stock in the bottom of there. Someone's asking about um, why stock versus broth. Any? Anything? All right. The technical, uh, and this is kind of hard for um, like when you're, when you are buying your, your stuff at the grocery store, there's like, there's broth and now there's bone broth and there's, <laughs> uh, so here's the difference. First of all, all broth is bone broth. You, that's how you make it. I mean, someone came up with that marketing term and I was like actually in the grocery store in my little local grocery store today. And the, like the exact same company has organic 
chicken broth and then organic chicken bone broth. Really? Um, so broth has been seasoned. It has salt in it. Even when it's low sodium, stock is not seasoned at all. That is the difference. So if you are making stock at your house, if you have a whole bunch of chicken bones, I mean, honestly, whenever I buy chicken, I buy whole chickens and break them down myself. And then I roast the carcasses and then I toss them in the freezer. And then when I have about five or six or seven um, chicken carcasses that I've roasted, I toss them in a stock pot and make stock from them. So they're my, it's my own rich brown chicken stock. Um, and that you can use for everything. And it's like, Buying whole chickens is cheaper and then you get to make stock out of it and you don't have to buy stock. But so um, just be aware though, the stuff that you buy in the store that is stock or that is broth is seasoned somewhat. So I would always recommend buy the low sodium water. Always. Okie doke. Um, so I'm taking out my meatballs, my little pulpitini. I'm putting them in a cute little serving dish. All right, a nice little cutie little pile of them. Okay. There we go. And then I'm going to take that the like the little stock that's left and pour that all right over. Okay, very nice. Then we come around to over here. And I have my cutie little natural toothpicks. And you can stick those in. If people are making like a bunch of meatballs, should they do it in batches like that? That you should definitely do it in batches. Um, and then, but I would do them in batches. I would fry them, put them on a sheet tray and keep them in a low oven, like 200 degrees, just to keep them all warm. And then at the, at the very last one, uh, the very last batch, do the chicken, chicken stock trick. Awesome. All right. So there you go. Um, and so here's the hors d'oeuvre portion of this. Look at how cutie is that. Now, what we're going to do, I have my, my pulpetti burger over here. This guy is done. I'm grating a little fontina cheese on it. All right, so I'm gonna just turn this guy back on. All right, I'm gonna have that cheese melt for a second. I have a bun that I'm gonna kind of toast on there as well. In the meantime, I'm gonna eat one of these little guys. Hello. If someone's meatball did stick to the pan, any suggestions? If your meatball stuck to the pan, you probably need a little tiny bit more oil in there. Um, or just give it a little time, give it a little shake, or you can use a spatula or something like that to gently unstick it. It just awesome. might need a little help. Awesome. Mm. Well, good job. <laughs> yeah. Liz thinks that Liz wrote, these are delicious. Uh-huh. Fiona, yum. Yay. <laughs> All right. So my burger, I've got my bun that's toasting a little bit. All right. We take this guy, yeah, all right, get all the extra little cheesy goodness out there. Mm -hmm. Now, I had um, 
I had some pickled onions that I used the other day for something else to get in my tops container. That's not a commercial. It's just, I saved the containers. So pickled onions, just pickled red onions. It's like a half a cup of uh, red wine vinegar, a half a cup of water, one tablespoon of salt and one teaspoon of sugar and a couple shakes of your favorite hot sauce, like Tabasco or something like that. I'm putting that right on there. A little bit of arugula and then my top bun. So there we go. That is the Pulpetti burger. So you can do burgers, you could do meatloaf, or you can do little cutie um, or derby situations. Yes, I dig it. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you all for your support. Always please stay safe and stay healthy, everybody. Bye. Thanks for having me. Whether you just listened for fun or you actually cooked along with us, we thank you. If you did cook this recipe, take a pic and tag it with hashtag CookTracks. Let us know how it came out because we want to see it. Keep up to date with us on Instagram at CookTracks or at CookTracks.com. CookTracks is cooked up by my friends, Cappy, Ian Cohen, and Charlie DiGiello. And sometimes they let me, Rachel Ray, help out too. With editing from Joel Yeaton. Music has been composed by Jeffrey David Goldford. Please rate and review or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Cook Tracks. We've got your back in the kitchen.